edition of our show, Herstory, on the rocks, with Katie and Allie. Normally, it'd be just Allie and I hanging out, having a couple cocktails, talking about famous women in history, but sometimes we like to talk to people who are currently writing about history. Today, we have a very special guest with us, Galia Gishan. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here today. I wish I was sitting wherever you are drinking with you, but (laughs) alas, not happening. Galia has taught at Bernard College, worked in financial literacy, and helps invest to start start female startup businesses, which is so cool. And today she's here to talk with us about her new book, The Accidental Suffragist. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yes. So um, I've actually been writing for a long time. I started my career on Wall Street, don't hold it against me, um, <laughs> writing research. And I found that it was very, and while it was very dry, I found that it was actually very good at explaining sort of obscure and complex topics to people who didn't necessarily um, you know, understand them per se. And then I started, when I left Wall Street and started teaching personal finance, which is really my day job, I actually wrote a book about 10 years ago where I actually took money affirmations. And I loved talking about things that were just a little more complex and really that anybody could understand them. So that's my background in writing, even though I have a degree in finance and accounting, but I do enjoy writing. And really when I moved from New York City to Connecticut about, gosh, eight, 10 years ago, I was, even though I worked in New York, but I lived in Connecticut, I was really looking for something for myself. And there's a lot of really amazing writing programs here in my town in Connecticut. And so I thought, oh, why not? And since I am (laughs) goal-oriented, if I go to writing class every week, I'm going to write a book. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So that was really how I got into it and specifically. And I just, once I found creative writing and fiction writing, I was hooked. Like I'm already writing, I have two more books that I'm writing right now. That's so exciting. I'm hooked. I love it, love it, love it. It's, I hope it can be my day job one of these days. But yep. right now, yeah. <laughs> well, Katie was nice enough to make a cocktail for your book, which of course Thank we will you. send you, and we're drinking it right now. So yes. that's a lot of fun for us. So, <sighs> this is obviously called the Accidental Suffragist. So it is two ounces of bourbon, freshly squeezed grapefruit juice and a half ounce of cinnamon schnapps and orange bitters. <laughs> oh God, it sounds delicious. <laughs> Cheers. I wish I'd known, but you know, it's I still have really- to drive my carpool later, so I probably shouldn't, but. <laughs> I know. So I'm like, we should send it to them before. And it's like, well, I don't know. We shouldn't be like encouraging people to like drink in the middle of the day. <laughs> well, middle their, choice. <laughs> their choice. Their choice. Right. All of our choices. Yep. <laughs> Yeah, well, you're in our time zone. Sometimes it's like 6 a.m. for some yeah. people. <laughs> yes, that's that's awkward. That is awkward. Yeah. Takes some explaining to do. But <laughs> So I can't wait to talk about this book. But before we dive into specifics, can we talk a little bit about the setting? What is life like for women in 1912 factory New York? Oh my gosh. Well, so this will surprise you or won't surprise you, but when I was writing the book and every week I would go to writing class and read a chapter and we would all nod our heads and say, wow, some things haven't changed (laughs) just in terms of the role of women. And I'm obviously the feminist in me is going to keep coming out over and over, but really the role of women, um, you know, just having to get permission from their husbands and their family life. So that was something that really I did a lot of research on. I loved, loved talking about this time in history. And one of my like old, old favorite fiction books from when I was a kid was a book called A Tree Grows in Brooklyn. And 
that book took place on the Lower East Side, kind of in the same time era. So I've always had like a little crush on that time era, the Industrial Revolution and the Lower East Side and the Tenement Museum and the tenements and um, and really just things were changing so quickly, like literally in the book, they start driving streetcars, they have regular cars, they find the telephone, like things that obviously we take for granted. So that time era was just like burgeoning with just improvements and such. Um, and the way they lived, I mean, we wouldn't live like that now. They had so many people living in one apartment, the air wasn't clean. The And it's interesting because a lot of what I had to research were like the smells of that time. Like they would go out on the street. They didn't have trash picked up the way we did. And so literally I would talk about the smells of New York city, which, you know, I had to really look at a lot of pictures yeah. <laughs> and read things. Um, but I tried to make that a character so you could really hopefully feel like you were there at every chapter. Yeah, that's great. And so the book obviously takes place in like around 1912 and it's a historical fiction that follows a woman named Helen Fox and it's the time it's around the Triangle Shirtwaist Factory fire, correct? Right. Okay, perfect. So basically she suffragist and suffragist suffragettes were a really big deal, but they were mostly for wealthy women. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, someone had to watch your kids or clean your house. Like, so you could find the time to volunteer to do it. And these women, I mean, I give them such kudos, but it really were wealthy women. Mm-hmm. And I, I thought, well, who wants to read a story about wealthy women fighting a cause? Like it just, you know, I didn't think that would be the most riveting story. So I thought, okay, well, I really want to put like a poor woman in that place. Mm-hmm. And then I thought, well, how is she going to end up there? She's not going to go volunteer. She has to work. Yeah. So I just, you know, started looking at that time period, which was 1911 to 1919, which was such a, like, a, so much happened then. And really just in the research, I found the Triangle Shirtwaist Factory. And I thought, I mean, not that, and I've, I actually have two daughters, not that I want to write about a child dying or daughter dying, but I don't know, it just kind of struck me. I was like, gosh, if her daughter dies... And they can't even vote to, to change the labor laws. Like they feel helpless. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Was, and that, by the way, is like the second chapter of the book. So I'm not kidding. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I remember the, the triangle shirtwaist factor. I was a gender studies major. And it's one of the first things that you learn about because it was this giant thing that affected and killed, I mean, all of these women because it's like 112, and they, they weren't even women, they were like 12 year olds, 13 yeah. year olds. I mean, it, it was just a travesty. They were, they were, yeah, they were really children. Mm-hmm. And they were all women. And by the way, they locked the doors because they didn't want the kids to have breaks. So yeah. if the doors had been unlocked, they probably would have survived. I mean, it's, yeah. anyway, can't go there. Yeah. <laughs> can't go there. Yeah, yeah. So there are all these kind of factors going into it. And so uh, can you tell us a little bit about the character of Helen Fox and where she is in the beginning and kind of like without getting, giving too many spoilers, like how she gets into the suffragist movement? Yeah. So what was, you know, I would say most, really most things that happened in the book were true. Obviously mm-hmm. Helen Fox was made up and her family was made up and she didn't have a daughter, obviously that died in the Triangle Shirtwaist Factory. But so, but what happened was when the fire happened, a lot of the women that were labor union activists were actually suffragists. It was kind of like the common cause. Like, you know, you want to get women to write to vote, you want to help children. So it wasn't actually unusual or uncommon that there were people who came to the fire that actually were suffragists. So that was a true fact. And the little research I did is that when something like that tragically happens to you, sometimes you just feel like you have to do something Mm -hmm. and you just... 
And so she's offered this job to work for the suffragettes and they selfishly see her as like the cause because they want to access the women that are poor and lower income. And then they pay her, frankly, more than she's making at the factory. And so she is really just looking at this initially as a way to, as a way to make more money. Mm-hmm. And so that's actually one of the, the conflicts is that she starts making more money than her husband, which, you know, is a big deal today. And it was a big deal a hundred years ago. I mean, it shouldn't be a big deal, but it does come up in conversation. Just saying. Yeah. So that was something that was really like, you know, literally like when I was bringing this up to my community, they were like, wow, even today, if one spouse makes more and there's an unequal economics, you think about that. So that was in the book. And her husband also really, and literally that's one of her first thoughts is like, wow, how am I going to make more money than Albert, my husband? Mm -hmm. So that's her character. So she's really just looking at this as a job. She has no confidence. She's not educated like them. She doesn't even like, she believes in the cause, but she doesn't have the luxury to fight for the cause. But then she can't help but You know, she gets wrapped up in it and, and then she starts not fitting in. So she doesn't fit into her community anymore because they're all similar people that work in factories or domestic help. She's not doing that, but she doesn't fit in with these wealthy women who talk about the soup that their cook made the night before mm-hmm. or their multiple houses. She doesn't fit in with that either. Or they're like, let's go to Washington in March. And she's like, well, how am I going to get there? Yeah. I really liked in the book, this relationship that she has with Harriet. And I, I kind of want to dive into that a little more because as you're saying, this is like an unequal socio socioeconomic like situation between these women, which obviously you are very well versed in. So what is it like in this like mentor mentee situation where you're in these different social classes? Well, it's such a good point because I look at even like when my career, when I started, I was the only woman in my department, but I did have a good mentor. And I think that so often, like I'm not, I mean, I really wrote this book as like fiction entertainment, but I think there are so many messages here that like, we do need a mentor. Like, so if we're more experienced in what we're doing, look for somebody younger. Like she would not have done this if Harriet hadn't said, no, you can do this. Let me help you out. Like she didn't even want to take the money that Harriet was giving her initially. And Harriet was like, you've got this and just kept pushing her to do. And she's like, just keep showing up. And Harriet saw that confidence in Helen where you know, Helen didn't see it, but then eventually she takes over and she doesn't need Harriet anymore. And she really now wants to impress Alice Paul, who's just like really a true, you know, the leader at the time. And I mean, Harriet was a leader too, but Harriet was a little more retired and, you know, kind of on her way down, if you will. And Alice Paul. And so, you know, then Helen's like, okay, I've, Harriet's been there for me. Now let me focus on Alice Paul. So, but I don't think she would have had that confidence if Harriet hadn't given her the encouragement, the support, you know, just really pushing her to do it. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, your book has a lot of really rich female characters, some real and some fictional. So were there some characters that you were really excited to write about and then you got kind of more interested in someone else? And, you know, how did your relationship to the characters change as you developed the book? You know, it's so funny because a friend of mine who was in my class she texts me and she's like, I think I saw Helen in New York the other day. <laughs> like these characters like came alive. Like you really just, you know, you felt like, I, I really feel like Helen exists in my mind. She does. And it was funny when this friend texted me, I was like, yeah, totally. I saw her in the city the other day too. So it was, so Helen, um, you know, I, and hindsight is twenty twenty, but I would go back and do more with characters. That's probably mm-hmm. the one thing that I didn't do enough of. Like if I, you know, have criticism, which of course no one's giving me that, but you know, if like I would want to write more 
Like, I wish I'd written more about her, Iris. I really loved Iris, her friends. Like, her, her friend was like, I don't really get what you're doing, but I'll support you. And, you know, in the end, there's some things that really happen that I'm not going to give away. And Iris, like, just, like, stands by her side. So, like, I, I wish I could have written more about Iris, and I did. And I actually kept putting Iris more in. Like, initially, she wasn't in that much. Mm-hmm. Um, I loved, loved writing about Lucy Burns, who was really Alice is like second in command and she was a super, super colorful figure. Like she really had so many more stories than I even put in there. And sometimes it's hard because you're reading this history and you're like, okay, I don't want this to read like a textbook, but there's some really great stories here. So how do you make it in the fictional part? Mm -hmm. So there's some things that I wish I could have, you know, just put more in and, you know, maybe I'll write a second one or not, you know, my, my other books are not about that time era, but who knows? (laughs) So I, I, when people sit down to read this, I feel like, like you said, your friend is like, I feel like I saw Helen. What are these, what are the themes that you really want people to relate to when they sit down and they're like, okay, 1912 New York, what are those things that they're going to grab onto and be like, this is my life? first of all, like I, I really just want you to be entertained. Like I love to read fiction. I get into bed every night and read fiction. Like I want you to read this as like a fictional book that you're enjoying. So that's number one, because I'm not a teacher. I'm not, I mean, I, I work in finance, but I, I'm, my goal is not to like sit there and like educate you, you know, from that perspective. With that being said, what has come up from this book is you know, I'll say this very gingerly, is I think when we see what's going on in today's society with like voting laws and Texas, no names mentioned, like we're not done. Mm -hmm. We're not even close to being done. And literally my daughters are 15 and 17 and, you know, they have like amazing posters in their rooms of the activist stuff that they support. And, and I didn't expect this book to come out in these conversations, but it has. And so I think that while this was a hundred years ago, like, look at what they had to overcome women to get the right to vote, which we take for granted now, even though voting laws are being threatened in Georgia and Texas and, you know, other places. Literally, my daughters and I got carpal tunnel just, like, writing postcards, you know, just, like, during the the voting, um, the presidential election. So I think that this book hopefully just shows that, like, they had to overcome so much. I mean, ostracization from their neighbors, their husbands, their family, like, and these were, like, the wealthy women, too. So it was really, like, the battles. So we have to continue fighting these battles any way that we can and that we're not done. And so I think learning history specifically, like, I'm well-educated. I didn't know most of the things that happened in this book. Yeah. Like, especially what happens at the end, like, I did not know any of that. I didn't know Alice Paul's name. I didn't know. And I, you know, I wish actually I would study gender studies. I studied accounting because yeah. you know, my mom said it was a good career. <laughs> so it was, you know, and I was like, okay, I want to be independent kind of thing. But I still like, I don't, I didn't know any of this. It's not taught. And I think as feminists, it's so important. Even if we're not feminists, it's so important for us to learn this history. And it's really, really relevant for today for us to not forget and that we can't stop. Fighting is the wrong word, but we can't just be complacent. Yeah, that's my two cents. (laughs) Without sounding too preachy. (laughs) But that's come up. And I I also believe in female empowerment. So I've actually focused on empowerment through financial independence. And that's really what I, my day job is I teach people who have no money or young, you know, whatever, it doesn't matter really how to be financially independent. So this book to me is about empowerment as a female and as a feminist and someone who supports feminism, whether you're male or female or or any other pronouns and, and just really saying like, 
I think just learning about it is probably the best way for us to say, okay, I've learned this. Great. Like, what else can I do? Yeah. Well, and also again, relating to those classic things of like, we had women back then worried about how much money they're making versus their husband. And we have women now still worrying about that. And <laughs> it kind of seems like, okay, like same scenario, but like right. vastly different. Right. You know, I know. Time, these yeah. are timeless issues that we right. <laughs> right. And it's, it's, it's mind boggling. And I, and I think too, like there was, you know, at some point, and, and again, I don't get into it too much because it's history, but like sometimes they didn't want the women to have the law passed because they didn't want to vote against like prohibition mm-hmm. or they didn't really want them to vote about their causes. And sometimes like these laws that are being passed now are because they have ulterior motives. So it's like things haven't changed to some extent. Yeah. No, definitely not. (laughs) So as you were writing, uh, how much research did you have to do? Did you find yourself like really in the history books on a regular basis? I did. And I, I, so I would say the first part, so I didn't, you know, it took me a few years to write this and I would say the first few years I was like really researching to the point that I kept checking out this one book from the library. And finally I just bought the book because I would check it out. And it was kind of like one of these tunes and it was fascinating. And I, you know, it actually started it from 1850, which I found fascinating. Again, it's a textbook, so I would not want to, you know, suggest reading it. Um, but something advice that one of my teachers gave me that I thought was really good advice is he said, it was a he, and he said, don't read about it. Look at pictures from that time because mm-hmm. then you'll really put it in your own words. And that was the best advice because I really looked at um, how they lived, like in the tenements. I looked at the marches, I looked at what the woman wore. And it was like, then I could write it in my words, which I was, it's a modern book, even though it's written about something a hundred years ago. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that's also crucial with the triangle shirtwaist fire um is you know you hear it and then when you look at pictures of it and you see because they had to like lay out like the bodies like in front of the factory like it was an absolute disaster and then it kind of weighs on you're like oh like now I'm seeing the actual bodies of these victims I'm seeing mm-hmm. that like you know it's different when you're here about it than when you see it so I think that's a great piece of advice for mm-hmm. writers is <laughs> Yeah, it came alive. It really came alive. And then I went to the Tenement Museum down in the Lower East Side of Manhattan. Um, I dragged my daughters. This is probably about four years ago. And it's like, I feel like you've seen the movies. You've, oh my God, but being there. And it's like, I came home and just like rewrote all the chapters and like the the chairs didn't match, you know, little things like that. They didn't have curtains. I mean, they didn't have um, a door. They had a curtain, you know, just, it was, yeah. pictures it's such a cliche but pictures speak a thousand words (laughs) did you feel like pressure juggling like such an important time in history with a historical fiction sometimes I feel like it's hard to like take that pressure on your shoulders and be like I want to tell it right but also in a way that entertains people I think I felt pressure when my publisher was fact-checking it and I was like oh god (laughs) you know and then I actually like there was a huge mistake in the very when we first I submitted it and publisher took me on and I realized that I'd spelled Harriet's name wrong. It's O-T at the end, Harriet, Harriet. And I, I just had never, like it was, you know, and I was like, oh my God, what other mistakes are there? Right. I couldn't sleep for like a week. I was really like, I think I read, but you know, when you read something that you've written so many times, you can't read it anymore. So then I, we had hired, she had hired an editor, which was really 
great. I got so anxious that I hired another editor of my own who's a friend of mine who's actually a magazine editor. And I was like, can I just pay you to read this and like look for mistakes and look for things that don't, because I was so nervous that there were things that were not correct. Um, you know, I really, rather than like the weight of it, I was like, while I was writing it, I was like, are people going to really want to read about this? Like that was kind of more that, you know, I had that creeping down. I was like, well, I, think I care about it, but do people really want to like, mm. but it seems like a lot of people are reading it. So. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm hearing, I'm just, I'm hearing from people of all ages. It's actually pretty wonderful. <laughs> and so when you were trying to kind of develop Helen's character and the way she kind of speaks and moves throughout the book, did you get a lot, like, did you look into like, first person or like um first sources what are those primary <laughs> primary sources thank you <laughs> like did you read letters and like things like that from women I don't know how many of them were literate but were there any kind of primary sources that you could access to get you into Helen's mindset no that's a good question I don't think I did and I really think the value of a writing group that I, I literally, I go every Monday from one to four and it's like the world can drive. I mean, I will not cancel that. So I think really having every week, six to eight people listening to it. And trust me, they were like, that doesn't make sense. Helen would never say that. Like <laughs> I think once I said something like, okay, or all right. And they're like, that was from the seventies. Like, or, you know, I was like, okay. Or I think I even said like turned on. And my friend looked at me, she's like, turned on what? Like, you know, the, and I was like, okay, I know. I just, you know, so I really think having that feedback, like I wasn't writing in a vacuum. Right. Um, yeah. So that's, that's a good question though, because, you know, at one point world war one breaks out and her son ends up going there. And, um, you know, one of my teachers was like, Oh, you should read letters from world war one. And I was like, yeah, I should, you know, but I, I, did. <laughs> I was like, yeah, that's a good point. But I'm like, this isn't a war book or, you know, so I was like, yeah. not about him. <laughs> yeah. he's fine. <laughs> Oh, well, it has been so fun talking to you. This has been a blast. Can you tell people where they can find you, where they can find your books about financial literacy, where can they find this book so that they can snuggle up and drink a cocktail and read about women and money? Thank you. Thank you. You, the two of you, can I just like give you so much credit? Just the two of you. No, 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 no. Don't pull your eyes to me. Just like me. Like you, the two of you are just bringing women's stories to the forefront. You're having fun doing it. It's just, it's beautiful. So I'm just, I'm really like, you know, very honored. Um, so thank you for creating this space. Um, okay. So how do you find me? Galia Gishan author. Um, that's my website for the book. And so obviously you can buy it on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, indie shop, bookshops, obviously contact your local bookseller. That should be first and foremost. And so I do have two independent sites and I have a local bookstore here in Connecticut. Um, but anywhere you sign, you, you know, write me a review. That's probably the most important as you know, right. Um, and then you can also just find out my personal finance, which is, um, down to earth finance. And so I do a lot of speaking. I teach at Barnard College in New York City. I teach at museums and freelance, the Freelancers Union, which is an amazing organization providing health insurance and benefits to freelancers and creatives. I literally am doing three seminars there in November. So that's my day job. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. Well, we can't wait for people to go out and buy this book. Because also, I just want to tell everyone, 
the cover of the book is gorgeous. Honestly, thank you. I know people are like, "Is that your daughter?" I'm like, "No, my daughter's alive and well. It's not." (laughs) But I get asked that question a lot. Yeah, yeah. No, she did a good job with it. She really did. And it was funny because the publisher, when she sent it to me, the first outline was like a very like a fancy woman with like pointy shoes and a big hat, and I was like, "No, no, no, no. Small hat, sash, no corset. Like we need to tame it down. It's not Helen." She was like, "Oh." I mean, I'm so like, I don't think anybody would have noticed, but I was very like attuned to that. I was like, no. And and you know, people would notice and then you'd get letters. (laughs) Yes, 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 yes. yes. I have gotten, there's like a few typos in there, you know, just because no thing is perfect. And someone's like, did you know? I'm like, I did. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. But it means that you read it. You know, it's probably my mother, truthfully. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we love it. We love the cover. We love the source material. It's such a great snapshot of that time in history, which was so crucial for women. So Mm -hmm. just thank you for writing about it because I think it, you know, again, we tend to talk about the wealthier women and, you know, people like Helen get forgotten. And this is right. That needs to be told. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you. Thank you again. Well, thank you. (laughs) Well, cheers to you. We, um, we can't wait to hear about your next couple of books. Here are these new projects. Keep us in the They're they're awesome. Obviously feminist themes because that's... to her story on the rocks we are independently produced by 1986 entertainment and proudly recorded in baltimore maryland if there's a woman in history you would like us to cover you can email us at herstoryontherocks at gmail.com you can also message us on twitter or instagram we post all of our cocktail recipes on tuesdays so that you can go get all the supplies you need and drink along with us see you next week bye